Yes, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. Tag somebody, text them the link, come on in the room. It is time for Therapy Thursday. I saw your comments. I saw the DMs and the emails of people saying that they have been waiting since the Thursday before last for Therapy Thursday since we do this every other Thursday. It is time. It is time, and I do believe that tonight's session, tonight's biblical therapy session will greatly assist you and your evolution and your healing and how you view yourself. So come on, come on in the room, invite somebody. I think that we are gonna have an absolutely healing time instead of great. I think we're gonna have an absolutely healing time on tonight, there is something that I believe God has prepared for me to share with you that um, I'm just excited to be a spiritual nutritionist for you. I'm excited to be an assistant to your evolution. Um, I'm excited to just see the testimonies and hear all of the stories about how this particular ministry is helping you grow. All glory goes up. Like, I'm nothing special. I'm just a vessel. All glory goes up, but I am thrilled, and my heart does get so much joy to know um, that I am just a participant in the, this huge body of Christ to be able to help those heal and become better and just become all that God has created for you, for you to be. So I'm excited. This is our Therapy Thursday. We have it every other Thursday. And church, of course, every Sunday at 12 p.m. Central Time. For those that do not know, that is in person and online. Come on out to the house or watch us online. Or you can always catch a replay. Um, I, I do feel as though Therapy Thursday is something that has been constructed by the Holy Spirit um, for me to do. So if I did not do this, I feel as though I would be being disobedient. I really do feel as though this is something that the Holy Spirit has led for me to do, uh, mainly because like I shared with us for part one of Therapy Thursday, I said there are going to be commandments and things that we are supposed to do as benevolent followers of Jesus that requires for you to be healthy on the inside to do it. <laughs> like when it comes to generosity, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over for the measure you use, that same measure will be measured unto you. That is biblical. So if all you have ever known is parasitic people, if all you have ever known is leeches, like parasites attach themselves on, on host. That's how they're sustained. That's why certain exes keep coming back. That's why certain people, you know, start calling you again after four, five, six months because you literally gave them life. And I'm trying to return back to my host. If that has been your experience, if you have been a chef in all of your relationships, you're the one that's preparing. You're the one that's serving. You're the one that's cooking. It's like I'm always giving a to-go plate to people, but nobody's pouring into me, and I always am pouring into them. I do believe you deserve to be poured into the same way that you pour. But if your experience has only been parasites, when you hear about a message telling you to give or be generous, you're like, um, give from what? From where? How, Sway? How? Everybody I have ever known has taken from me. So therefore, that biblical requirement is going to be difficult for you to carry that out because everybody I have known has taken advantage of me. So I need to be healed or healthy on the inside to do it. 
So I'm not going to be long, um, but I do pray that this assists you and helps you um, on tonight. So I want to start with this particular uh, example. I remember this was roughly about 2019, pre-pandemic, 2019 in the month of January, I was going to Minneapolis. There was a leadership and a pastor's conference that I was going to. And at that time, Minneapolis was like negative 19 degrees. <laughs> I've never felt cold that cold. <laughs> I live in Houston, Texas, born and raised, you know, on a playground where I spend most of my days. Um, I've never experienced tempers that temperatures that frigid or that Arctic. So, um, you know, I'm dressed up because I'm about to go to a negative 19 degrees in Houston. At that time, it was like 72. We were having a very uh, mild uh, winter. And so, you know, I'm, I'm dressed all up. I'm, I got my scarf and I got uh, my scarf and my mittens on and I'm ready. And um, I remember my sister, she's looking at me. She's like, boy, where you going dressed like that? You gonna burn up. And I told her, I said, um, I'm not dressed for where I am. I'm dressed for where I'm going. Can I get somebody to put in the room? I'm not staying here. I I'm not staying here. I I'm dressed for where I'm going. I'm not dressed for where I am. I'm not staying here. I'm not staying in this depression. I'm not staying in this defeated mindset. I'm not staying in this fear. I'm not staying in this resentment. I am not staying in this dead place. Because like I told us on Sunday when we were talking about the man who had a legion of demons, his king encounter in Mark chapter 5, the Bible said that he lived in the tombs. He lived amongst the tombs, meaning this guy was hanging out in the cemetery. And I tried to point this out so that we can get it. Demonic spirits like to keep us around dead things. Not, not just physically, but also spiritually. I want, I want you to hang around people who are dead to purpose. Hang around those who are dead to God's voice. Hang around those who are dead to purity. Hang around those who are dead to devotion. Hang around those who are dead to worship. I want you surrounded by dead things. I want your clique, like, you know, your squad? I want your squad to be a cemetery. That's not your circle. That's a cemetery. I want you surrounded by dead things. And I tried to get us to see, once Jesus delivered the man and the demons left, once the people in the region heard about it, they told Jesus to leave. They were afraid and told Jesus to leave. So this man goes from being wild and possessed to in his right mind and clothed, and that scares you? Listen, y'all, your healing and your deliverance will always scare those who speak fluent in devils. Did y'all hear what I just said? Your healing and your deliverance will always terrify those who speak fluent in devils. Like they can't stand to see you heal because they were taking advantage of you being wounded. Your healing and your boundaries only terrifies those who are benefiting from it. They couldn't even understand that this man is in a better condition because they were so used to seeing him bound and tormented by spirits. One more time, somebody put in the room, I'm not staying here. I'm, I'm not staying here. I'm dressed for where I'm going, not for where I am. See, and one of the reasons hell uses the weapon of trauma, one of the reasons that hell 
uses the weapon of psychological abuse is because the enemy wants us to stay stuck wearing what happened. Listen, okay? I, I want you to stay stuck. This is symbolic of that illustration. I want you to stay stuck wearing what happened so you will never see what is going to happen. Mm. I want you to stay stuck wearing what happened so you will never see what is going to happen. Remember, God gave us a promise. I have plans for you to give you a hope and to give you a future. I don't want you to see what's going to happen. I want you stranded wearing what did happen. Now you have to remember that trauma, this is just a definition I believe God gave me. Trauma is hell's attempt to bookmark your story. You're not getting past this. You're not going to the next chapter. You're not getting over this. You're going to wear this until you are in the grave. Trauma is hell's attempt to bookmark your story. But listen, God is constantly trying to dress us for the future. God is trying to dress us for the future. And he gives us prophetic reminders. <laughs> do you have Bible to corroborate your claim? I do. Do you remember when God said, when you have wells that you did not dig, when you have vineyards that you did not plant, when you have figs that you did not plant, remember the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. God was telling the Israelites this while they were in the wilderness. So I'm dressing you for the future. I I'm dressing you for where I'm taking you and I'm giving you a prophetic word. I'm giving you a prophetic word so that when you enter into the season of success, you won't lose your sense. You won't forget who was the one who dressed you for this. You won't forget who was the one who prepared you for this. I'm trying to dress you for your destiny. I'm trying to dress you for the future. But Satan wants to dress you in the former so that you'll keep on wearing where you have been. <laughs> This is good, y'all. You will keep on wearing where you have been. And then he'll try to normalize it. Like your whole squad is wearing their trauma. All your friends wearing their trauma. Your girlfriends, all of us wearing their trauma. We gossip about it, we talk about it. All of your homies wearing their trauma. I want to normalize it because watch this. When trauma gets normalized, it robs your ability to dream. Y'all, listen, I posted this yesterday. It was blessing me while I was preparing for this. So what has happened is trauma has robbed you of the ability to dream and your dreams have been exchanged with paranoia. Constantly overthinking, constantly overthinking. Oh, this might happen and what if this happens and what if that happens? No longer my dreaming, I have robbed you of that due to the trauma. Due to all of the trauma, I have robbed you of that. And so now you don't dream anymore, you exchange that. For paranoia. I want you to believe my lies so that you'll never take this off. I, I want you to believe all the lies I tell you so that you'll never dream about what will it be like if I had a life without trauma like this? What would it be like if I actually got healed from this? What would it be like if I were to actually overcome this? What would it be like if I were to get a testimony from this? What would it be like? Hell never wants you to dream about what would life be like if I was healed. 
who am I talking to on tonight? Where your mind is bombarded and harassed by lies. Because Satan, he is a mental assassin, a psychological terrorist of the mind. And the main place he does this is by infecting the motherboard of your meditations. Because watch this, he knows your meditations become manifestations. Did y'all hear me? I want to throw something. He knows your meditations become your manifestations. So he gives you thoughts in seed form. When we water those thoughts, it transitions from seed form to crop maturity. It just is a seed of you're not good enough. It's just a seed of that'll never work. A seed of nobody will ever watch that. A seed of look at them. Everybody's doing so much better than you. And so when we meditate on it, that is how we water it. And that seed transitions to crop maturity. This is so powerful, y'all. Because he knows it is hard for God to use a person who believes his lies. Listen, y'all, listen, listen. Please, please, listen. God could use you if you made mistakes. God can use you if you have an ugly past. God can use you despite of your failures. God can use you despite of your shortcomings. God can use you when you have made unwise choices. God can use you if you have made stupid choices like myself. God can use you. The only way we limit God's ability to use us is when we don't believe. That's it. My God. I mean, just the foundation of our faith and, and receiving the gift of salvation is tied to confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. When I have robbed your ability to believe, God, I hope you are getting this. Oh, I hope you are getting this. It's exposing the strategy. I give them trauma so that that trauma will hand them paranoia. So that when God gives them an instruction, that requires faith. And I know that faith is taking a risk. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth about everything he has said. Since I have gone through so much trauma and so many people have lied to me, and since I have gone through so much trauma and so many people have taken the unfair advantage of me, when God tells me to do something that requires for me to take a faith risk, I won't do it because the paranoia will talk me out of it. The paranoia will talk me out of it because normalized trauma robs you of your ability to dream, and to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's the enemy, many times, who's planting these thoughts. I, I want to help somebody. What if you aren't as jacked up as you think? What if your mind isn't that jacked up? It's just you don't know how to defeat or go to war with satanic thoughts. You don't know how to have supervision and supervise your thoughts so that your meditations, you don't know how to supervise your thoughts enough to have spiritual warfare when the enemy is telling you a lie. I know how to believe God's truth over his lie. I don't know how to do that. The genesis, the genesis of overcoming fear, the genesis of, of overcoming shame, the genesis of overcoming 
feeling defeated is when you remember who is your father. Listen, y'all. The genesis of overcoming the state of loneliness is when you remember, believe, and know who made you. Can I get somebody to put in the room, I have been tailor-made by God. Put it in the room in all caps. I have been tailor-made by God. I'm not going to just give you opinions. Let me give you Bible. Look, Genesis 1, chapter 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in whose image? In whose image? In our image. I'm like, okay, hold on. First, let's do a little exegesis. Who is us? Who is God talking to? God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. He's talking to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of us, three in one. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So for this, for this Therapy Thursday, I want to speak to you around this thought from this subject for a few more moments. I'm God made. I'm God made. I know we have the culture who tells you I'm a self-made millionaire. I'm a self-made billionaire. I'm a self-made champion. I'm a self-made hustler. That's culture. We not claiming culture. We kingdom. On this side, nothing about me is self-made. Everything about me is God made. My heart God made it. My mind, God made it. My ministry, God made it. Whatever I have in my life is all due to what God made. I am God made. The genesis, please hear me y'all. The genesis of overcoming depression. The genesis, meaning the beginning, the beginning of overcoming self-doubt. The beginning of overcoming self-abandonment. The beginning of overcoming self-rejection is by remembering who made you. You have been tailor-made by God. Father, in this moment, will you help us to be able to take off the lies that the enemy has put on us? Help us to take off the lies that we have put on ourselves. Help us take off the lies our mama told us or our ex told us. Help us to remove the residue of where we've been. Wash us like a baby that has, has just been born fresh out the womb. Would you push us into another dimension? Would you push us into another realm? Would you push us into having another perspective? Would you push us into wholeness and wash off the residue of the pain and wash off the residue of the trauma and wash off the residue of the dysfunction and cut the umbilical cord because that is no longer going to sustain us. And God, anytime you cut us, it's not to kill us, but it's to keep us. When the doctor cuts the umbilical cord or the father cuts the umbilical cord of, of his bride that just birthed his child, he didn't cut the umbilical cord to hurt the baby, but he cut the umbilical cord to keep the baby. 
help us cut off any thought, any stronghold that is keeping us in a place of not remembering who our Father is because we have been tailor-made by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everybody who agrees with that, could you put in the room, amen, amen, amen. Why don't y'all tell me I got lint on me from the scarf? <laughs> See, look, that, that, that's a word right there. That's a word right there. I still have on the residue of where I came from. <laughs> yes, I want to talk just for a few more moments, guys. I am God made. I am God made. Now, as I was studying this, I began to think about something. Okay. God said in Genesis 1, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. All right. And we just read in verse 27 where it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. How do you destroy the reputation of a man? You mess up his image. <laughs> like, like, how do you truly sabotage the reputation of a ministry, of a corporation, of a business, you mess up the image. There are certain people, for the sake of nobody taking this out of context, I won't say their names, but there are certain people, if I were to say their name, you would immediately think about an image because it has been tied to the reputation. Certain murderers, if I were to say this particular murderer's name, you immediately think about the murder, murder they committed because we tie reputation with image. Hmm. So no wonder the enemy has been after you your whole life. No wonder the image is after all of those who claim to follow Jesus because you are made in his, you got it, you are made in his image. And if I could create in the earth a image of the one who is a image bearer, if I could distort that, then maybe people who don't know him, but when they look at the people who claim to represent him, maybe I could distort his image by distorting the image of his image. Did y'all hear me? Maybe I could distort God's image by distorting man's image so that people won't look up anymore because I see so many distorted images. Like right now, this, this picture is distorted. So you really can't even see me. You can kind of see me, but you can't clearly see me, but you can hear me. This is why I did a whole sermon series on discernment because even in the times of your life when things seem distorted, if you could still hear God, if you could still hear your creator, if you know how to discern you from the voice of the enemy, from the voice of God, if you can discern that, even when times come in your life, when things seem distorted, as long as I could hear right, 
Y'all better come get me. I gotta preach Sunday. I gotta preach Sunday. Calm down. Calm down. I'm gonna lose my voice. <laughs> as long as you could hear the voice, it will help you still know the direction. But some of us, when the image of this live stream was distorted, you became distracted. Calm down. When you, when you saw the distorted image, you became distracted. Now watch this. Imagine if somebody logged on while the image of me was distorted. They might begin to think something's wrong with their phone. What's wrong with this? Let me close this app. Why does it look like that? I, I hear them, but I don't see them. Maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe there's something wrong with the way I look. Maybe there's something wrong with my personality. M maybe there's something wrong with my mind. M maybe there's something. And so now what the enemy tries to do, if I can get the image distorted, instead of you seeing that he's the one that's trying to distort the image, it's not you, it's him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities. It's not you, it's him that's trying to make you believe what you see. So just like with your phone, you would think maybe I'm having bad reception and try to close it out. It's the same with your life. Maybe, maybe I've messed up too much, forgot to use. Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear that, I hear. But, but what I did, you don't know what I did though. So I try to distort the image, because if I have a distorted view of myself, it's because I have a distorted view of God. Did you hear what I just said? Anytime I have a distorted view of myself, it's because I have a distorted view of God. How can you say that, Jay? It's because you're made in his image. So when I believe the distortion, I'm ugly. Versus believe what your maker said, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. The head and not the tail. Look, y'all, Psalms 139 verse 14, it says, I will praise you. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full and well. Once I know that I'm his work, it will help me begin to be able to love me. The reason you can't love me is because you forgot who made you. This is why he tells us in his word. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me show you this. This is why he tells us in his word to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Uh-oh, problem, problem, warning, warning. Just like we said in the beginning, that is a biblical commandment. That is a biblical requirement to love your neighbor as you love yourself self by this all men will know that you're mine by the way you love one another if I don't love I can't love them if I don't love me so I got a problem because I can't love them from a place that's in a drought and I hear you somebody may be like I'm just tired I'm just tired I am burned out I'm burned out with trying to love I'm burned out with trying to love me I'm tired I am burned out Here's a perspective for you when it comes to being burned out. Being burned out is not because we're doing so much, but rather sometimes it's revealing you're trying to give from a place of nothing. Say it one more time. Being burned out is not always due to you doing so much, 
but rather it's revealing you're trying to give from a place of nothing. The tank in my life of loving me is empty. Is empty. Love the Lord your God with our, it's hard. I don't even know how to love me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's hard because I don't even love me. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, by the way. It's going to be hard for them to know that I'm heaven's billboard because I don't even love me. Like, do you just walk around looking angry? Do you walk around with a state of joylessness? Maybe you're so tired. I'm talking to somebody, y'all. I feel it. Maybe you're so tired. You're so exhausted. And you're burned out because you're trying to give from a place of nothing. Like you're waiting for somebody to discover you when you haven't even discovered yourself. Oh, this is so convicting. Remember I prayed, whenever God cuts you, it's not to hurt you, it's to keep you. When a father cuts that umbilical cord, it's so that he can keep his baby. I'm trying to get us to see that God loves you and he wants to keep you. He's never going to let you go. But maybe the problem is you have forgotten that he is your maker. And since you have forgotten that he is your maker, you don't love the work of the maker, which is you. I'm trying to get us to a place where we learn how to love what God loves. And guess what, y'all? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And I need you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But this is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem because I don't love myself and I can't pour from a place that's in a drought. There's a daughter right now that's in need of a love, love from her mother and from her father. But she's not getting it because you cannot pour from a place that's in a drought. There's a wife right now that is in need of a love from her husband, but she's not getting it because he can't pour from a place that's in a drought. Husbands, love your wives like Christ love the church. I cannot love her like Christ loved the church if I don't even know Christ loves nor am I a part of any church. I can't love her if I don't love me. In Ephesians the word of God says any man who loves his wife also loves himself but if I don't love myself she won't feel the love. There is a member sitting under a pastor that is in need of love but she's not getting it or he's not getting it because the pastor the spiritual leader can't pour from a place that's in a drought. So now all of these people are affected by me trying to give from a place of nothing. The genesis of overcoming this is to remember who made you. You have been tailor-made by God. And the reason, the reason that this may be hitting so hard, I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but I've been in church my whole life and I have not been taught I have not been discipled on how to love me. I've been told to love others. I have been told to love God, but I have not been taught. I have not been trained. I have not been given a biblical exegesis from the text on how to love myself. And that loving myself is a necessity. That's not something that's cultural. That's something that is biblical. How do I love myself? How do I begin the journey of loving who God made me to be? How do I fall in love with the process versus shaming myself for who I've been. And I could never engage in celebratory moments or my milestones because they're always eclipsed by what I haven't done. No wonder jealousy is so prominent in our hearts, y'all. 
Because if I don't know how to celebrate me, talk Holy Spirit. If I don't know how to celebrate me, if I'm not patient with me, if I don't know how to applaud me, I'm not going to be able to give a genuine applaud or a genuine clap for them because you cannot pour from a place that is in a drought. The lack of self-love, the lack of loving the work of God's hands, which is you, the lack of loving the work of God's hands is the epicenter on how we keep projecting on others. This is why rejection hits so hard because you have rejected you before they ever have rejected you. So just their rejection is just confirmation of my own self-doubt because I haven't even accepted myself. So when they reject me, it feels like double rejection because I've already rejected me. No wonder you could tolerate being cursed out. <laughs> No wonder you could tolerate being cursed out. You curse yourself out. Man, you're so stupid. Why did you do that stupid? Man, you, why did you, like you are verbally abusive to you. Why do you keep talking to you like that? It's easy for you to tolerate toxic words because you talk to yourself like that on the regular. The genesis, the genesis of healing, the genesis of becoming, meaning the starting point is for you to remember who made you. Remember what God said about you. Have you been calling the devil a liar, but then treating God like he is? The prodigal son, when he told his father to give him his share, to give him his share of the inheritance, and he left and he goes away to a distant country, spends all that he has on riotous living. When he was like, okay, I'm tripping. I, I need to go back to my father's house. I need to go back. When he left, he said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. When he returned, he said, Father, make me as one of thy higher servants. When you understand who God is, your prayer starts to shift from, Father, give me my share of the inheritance to Father, make me as one of your higher servants. Give me becomes make me. When you allow him to make you, you start to see yourself through the eyes of the maker. So, so good, y'all. You start to see your eyes. You start to see yourself through the eyes of the maker. Now, when he came back, the Bible says that his father saw him from a distance and he ran, put his arm around him, put a robe around him. But there's something that I think we forget. The Bible says, then the father put a signet ring on his son's finger. Now, a signet ring in those days was used to have the king's initials or the king logo, if you will. And so whenever the king would sign a decree or an edict, he would put his stamp on it. So when God gives us the parable of the prodigal son and he said the father put the, hit the signet ring on his hand, is showing now you have access to everything that I am. Now you have access to my joy. Now you have access to my confidence. Now you have access to my peace. Now you have access to my healing because I'm giving you my stamp of approval. This is so powerful, y'all. The genesis of overcoming the feeling of defeat is when you remember who your daddy is. When you remember how he loves you, it will cause for you to start to love the work of his hand. And what is the work of his hand? 
you. So I'm gonna give you a few things and then we're done for tonight. I want us to understand that loving yourself is nothing more than cherishing the work of the potter. How you view you is the syllabus on how they can treat you, okay? How you view you is the syllabus on how they treat you. When you view yourself as royalty, you won't allow yourself to be treated like trash. Loving yourself is nothing more than cherishing the work of the potter. Number two, loving yourself is not being conceited or self-absorbed, but rather it is to make the conscious choice to believe the good over the bad. And that's required for you to be able to carry out the kingdom agenda. Number three, loving yourself is to believe that when God made you and he said it is good, he was telling the truth. <laughs> when he said it is good, he was telling the truth. You're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. A royal priesthood, he was telling the truth. And that's required for you to believe, for you to carry out the kingdom agenda. Loving yourself is not the omission of chapters in your life. It's just refusing to let those chapters be the title of your life. And that's required for you to carry out the kingdom agenda. And lastly, I say this so often, loving yourself is not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but rather it's thinking the same thoughts about you that the most high thinks. So on tonight for Therapy Thursday, I want to start by reminding us, for those of us who caught amnesia, do you remember that you are God made? And God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. When he made you, he had no eraser because he makes no mistakes. We just have to get to a place where we learn how to love what God loves. And guess what? God loves you. The beginning, the genesis of overcoming self-doubt, and resentment is being able to remember that you're God made. Father, help us to remember that when you made us, you made no mistakes. Help us to remember that when you called us, you knew all the stupid stuff we would do before you called us and you still called us. Help us to be able to have a right perspective and see ourselves like you see us. When you created us, you said, it is good. Help us to value what you value, and you value us. Loving ourselves is not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but it's just choosing to believe, to think the same thoughts about ourselves that the Most High thinks. We love you and we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray this blessed you guys. Therapy Thursday every other Thursday, and this is free. <laughs> this is free. This is free. How much do your therapist charge you? 150 hour? I didn't say 100, I said 100. 150, how much do they charge? This is free. I want to just help you on your biblical therapeutic process. And tonight I wanted to deal with remembering that you're God made so that you can start the journey of loving you. I love you so much, and I can't wait to see you rather in person or online Sunday at 12 p.m. Central Time as we are continuing our King Encounters series. It's going to bless your life and hopefully change your life. Have a wonderful night. God bless you.